I mean, if it's all essentially about behavior, then why did Jesus have to die on the cross? So you probably noticed that today we get the most memorized uh, verse in the Bible, sometimes referred to as the gospel in a nutshell, uh, thanks to Martin Luther himself. We are reminded this morning that these verses really come as an answer to a question, to a, an engaging discussion. This Nick at Night story is of a religious leader who comes to Jesus in the dark of night to discuss a few things, and Nicodemus doesn't want to make small talk with Jesus. He goes right into the deep end. We can't be positive why he came at night, and there are some favorite guesses out there among scholars and others. One has to do with a metaphor that the author of the Gospel of John likes, moving from darkness into light, so that here under the cover of darkness comes this religious leader to the light of the world. Um, That's a certain possibility. Another guess is that Nicodemus, being who he was, eminent, respectable, he had status, um, he, he didn't want to, anyone to see him paying a visit to this um, itinerant rabbi who was causing such a ruckus. I mean, Jesus didn't have any real credentials. He had shabby disciples. He, he, he was, had an emerging reputation as a troublemaker. This comes uh, right after in John's gospel, Jesus had turned over the tables of the money changers in the temple caused a lot of uh, chaos there. Uh, So maybe Nicodemus just didn't want his own reputation harmed. You know, he's a Pharisee. He's supposed to know things about God, about religion, not be out looking for answers from the likes of Jesus. So he he went in the dark. And uh, and kind of another big guess is that Nicodemus just couldn't sleep, huh? And Nicodemus, there was something keeping him awake. He was up in the middle of the night because even though he had it all, he had prominence, he had wealth, education, position, there was something missing for Nicodemus that was keeping him awake at night. And something drew him to Jesus, thinking there might be answers for him there. And I think all of us can relate to this. Each of us has had our turn Uh, Staying up at night, sleepless, restless, worried, a thousand questions running through our mind, keeping us from sleeping. It might be a worry about finances at home, could be worried about children off at school, a relationship in tension, a decision you, you just can't seem to make. It might run deeper than that, certainly. A loved one who's ill, a a parent's growing old, a job that's sapping the life out of you. Addiction, depression. Maybe you can't put your finger on it, but you sure can't get to sleep. We can relate to this. I think it often seems to be true that it's through the cracks in this veneer of our own self-sufficiency that God tends to make God's way into our lives. The Bible says that Nicodemus was no ordinary citizen. He was a Pharisee, a member of the Brotherhood of 6,000. He was said to be a member of the Sanhedrin, one of 70 elite Religious leaders, a man who committed his life to studying, memorizing, and living out the biblical laws and standards. But somehow in all of these teachings and all of this memorizing, something was missing for Nicodemus. We talked during Lent about being honest with ourselves, more importantly about repentance, about turning back toward 
God, being honest with God. We talk about religious practices sometimes, devotional practices, fasting, and so forth, all good stuff. And religious practices can clean you up, can get your life in order for you sometimes, get you looking good anyway, maybe get you uh, moving in the right direction. But if that's all that the Christian faith is about, it begs one giant question. I mean, if it's all essentially about behavior, then why did Jesus have to die on the cross? Nicodemus came seeking new content about religion and the righteous life. And Jesus told him, "Eh, it's not about religion so much, it's about relationship. Being born a nothing, being born from above, is a God thing. It's about the grace of God, not the religious distinctions that can draw lines and identify who's on the right side of the line, who's on the wrong side, you know, that your whole life has been devoted to, Nicodemus. But Nicodemus has a particular list of questions, and he wants them answered. How can a person be born after you're old? And can you enter into your mother's womb and be born yet again? And, and how can all this be? And unspoken, I think, under all of Nicodemus's questions is this one. Who exactly are you, Jesus? And maybe that question is the one we're here to answer. Who is Jesus to you? I mean, you lost an hour of sleep last night. There are fears, growing concern about COVID-19. Here you are. Who is this Jesus to you? I expect many of us can identify with Nicodemus and his lists of questions, and maybe questions are part of the reason you are here. You have questions. You may have doubts. You may not be entirely, completely, wholeheartedly positive about what you believe. I don't know that Nicodemus really got the answers for all of his questions. Sometimes Jesus doesn't dole out easy answers. Well, What Nicodemus did get was Jesus himself one of the most engaging, theological, deep conversations with Jesus in the whole of Scripture. Nicodemus wants a clear path, but Jesus speaks to him of wind and birth, two of the most mysterious and uncontrollable forces on the planet. In meeting Jesus, we are coming face to face with a living God, not a religious system. Jesus tells Nicodemus, you have to be born on nothing. Really best translated as from above, anothen, but Nicodemus hears something else. And no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit, Jesus says. What is born of the flesh is flesh. What is born of the spirit is spirit. Nicodemus doesn't get it. He was struggling with the idea of someone being born again, and, and he couldn't understand how a grown person could be born again. How do you do it? What is the process, Jesus. I mean, I am a Pharisee. I live by 613 religious rules. Are you telling me there are several more? I'll add them to my list. And finally, Jesus answers Nicodemus with a little gospel. huh? The gospel in a nutshell. For God so loved the world that God gave God's only Son so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. So here we are, 
We gather around the font. We hear this gracious promise. I love you, God says to us in the waters of baptism. This one is mine. I shall be with them always. I will never let go of them. What a promise. And we together welcome them into the community of faith in Christ. We welcome you. I think that's the message that Jesus had for Nicodemus. That's the promise that God has for each of us in our own baptisms. Welcome into the community. So get this. This is one of my favorite things in all of Scripture. Nicodemus, after this encounter with Jesus in the darkness of night, disappears. What what happened to him? Did, Did he follow? You know? Did he risk everything? Did he risk his reputation, his place on the Sanhedrin? Did he risk his status as a Pharisee? Did he follow Jesus? Did he become part of the community? He just disappears. And then way at the end of the gospel, so much later in the 19th chapter, after the crucifixion, after Jesus has been put to death, Nicodemus reappears. It's a little bit shocking. Later, John tells us that Nicodemus was there after they crucified Jesus. It's almost as an aside. It's just, his name is just mentioned. Nicodemus went boldly with this other guy, Joseph of Arimathea, in the light of day to help with the burial of Jesus. And John gives us another detail. John tells us they were afraid. Why? Well, the machinery of crucifixion was in full swing. It didn't end with the death of Jesus. They hoped that when they killed the leader, the movement would disperse, but they couldn't know that for sure. It was dangerous to be identified with this Jesus. We will find the other disciples having fled and locked away in a house for fear. But here is Nicodemus. He reappears after all this time to help lay the body of Jesus to rest. What is Nicodemus doing there? What can he do for Jesus now? What are you doing here? Who's Jesus to you? Nicodemus knew the religious rules. I didn't come to abolish the law, Jesus said. I came that it might be fulfilled. Nicodemus knew the law. This is what he had to give. He knew that Jesus had at least bent, if not broken, several of the 613 religious laws that he devoted his life to maintaining. Some of those laws related to the Jewish burial customs, and Nicodemus shows up with the proper burial spices following the protocols of burial for a faithful Jew when he helped place Jesus in the tomb. That's what he could give. Only now it was dangerous and it was broad daylight. Why would Nicodemus still be bothering with Jesus after the crucifixion? Why risk it all now when this Jesus can do nothing for you? Even risking his own safety to say nothing about that reputation he seemed to care about earlier in the gospel. Why are you here? Nicodemus knew the rules, but now now he knew Jesus too. I've always hoped and continue to hope that Nicodemus stepped out of the darkness and became part of the new community. We welcome you into the community of faith in Christ, a worker with us in the kingdom of God. I hope that Nicodemus came to understand that the free grace of God is more costly than he had ever imagined. And that his 613 religious laws came nowhere near to covering that cost. 
In handling the dead body of Jesus, Nicodemus himself was likely breaking some of the ritual purity laws that he had devoted his life to keeping, while at the same time using those very burial traditions and protocols to offer some final love and respect to Jesus during his burial. So he risked everything. Reputation, safety, status, income, he risked it all to help lay the body of Jesus in the tomb because he, Nicodemus, had become part of the community of faith in Christ, part of the body of believers, a community that was three days away from receiving the greatest news in all of human history. That community of faith is this community. It is the church, and you are a part of it. Maybe you have doubts. Maybe you aren't positive what it is you believe. You're reminded in these waters this day that it is God's gracious gift to you that makes you who you are. Chosen, forgiven child of God. And you, though you lost an hour of sleep last night and are concerned with others about various viruses in the air, you came to hear it and you'll leave with it. And that's good news. Amen. What a great morning, great promises. God says, I love you, I'm proud of you, you'll always be mine. We're all reminded of that in the, in the waters of baptism. And we're all reminded also by the story of Nicodemus that we have something unique uh, to bring into the world, some gift that can be a blessing even uh, to Jesus himself. So uh, what that is for you is different than it is for me, uh, but there's definitely something there. Uh, so having been claimed and, and forgiven, we are now about to be sent, uh, but we go changed. Um, we, go, uh, we go blessed and we go uh, equipped, not because of our behavior, huh? there, uh, not because of our strong faith. The, this morning was not about oh, who we claim Jesus to be, it was about who he claims us to be. It was not about us answering a question. About, uh, it's not about us accepting Jesus. This was about Jesus saying, I accept you. Hmm? So that's grace and pure gift. Remember Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, as they were laying the body of Jesus to rest, John told us they were afraid. Hmm? But we are leaving here now, not in fear, but we go in peace. We go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Thanks be to God.